broadcasting live from the phx.fm studio in phoenix arizona it's time for valley business radio spotlighting the valley's best businesses and the people who lead them Welcome to another edition of the Arizona 100 Podcast. I'm Adrian McIntyre, joined here in our virtual studio by Abby Fink, publisher of the Arizona 100. Hey there, Abby. Hey there, Adrian. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, definitely interesting times. It's never not interesting. There's a lot going on here as we roll into the end of January. Yeah. How's it all looking over there? It's looking pretty good. It's looking pretty good. Yeah, the the last conversation we had was... um, you know, right after the incident insurrection at the Capitol and we were gearing up for the inauguration. And here we are one week into the new administration. And I am just struck still to this day by the the uh, poet laureate, Amanda Gorman. I fully admit I did not know we had a youth poet laureate. So I didn't know who she was other than she was going to be reading a poem and my knowledge of poetry is somewhat limited. So the fact that um, this was to me just less than six minutes, but so incredibly powerful. And I, I don't know what you think, but I have probably watched that part of that clip probably a dozen times and pick up something new each time I've watched it. But what poise and presence of mind and and, you know, just the the power that came in the words that she said, I'm still struck, you know, a week later, I'm still just overwhelmed by that presentation during the inauguration. It certainly was powerful. I haven't rewatched it. We watched it live and I was thrilled and chilled in the moment by it, partly because, you know, for anyone, and I I was also thinking the same, and it's not the same. But I was thinking the same of all the performers. Like what, when you take the microphone at an event like this, there's so much at stake. And of course, these are all professionals with a variety of backgrounds and things. But as Amanda Gorman read, performed, really gave life to her poetry, I was really struck by the thing that vibrates in all of us. Although, quite frankly, it seems to have gone a little numb in some folks. And that is the power of our shared human experience and the ability to pierce through the numbness, the callousness, the despair, the cynicism that so many of us have for so many different reasons. As we look at the world we're in and think, well, this isn't what I want or this isn't how it should be. Again, regardless of the perspective from which you say that, we all have that sense, that gnawing sense of like, it's not right, it's not enough. And yet here uh, with uh, the clarity and force of, you know, I don't know, uh, I don't want to compare it to anything because it deserves to be understood in its own right. It just, it spoke through us and to us in a way that was so compelling. The, and and the conversations that I've had about it is, is it's hard to put into words what that was. I mean, this wasn't just a reciting of a poem. I mean, that is what it was, but it was this presence that was, and, and really, I think you're right. It just, it, it cut through all of that stuff and just was there in that moment. And the, if you, the, I've read what she wrote. So, I mean, you listen to it and you absorb it in a certain way. And I, I've gone back and read what she wrote and what is so evident to me in it is the, the hopefulness that comes through each 
you know, example of something that would, that should destroy is here's the other side. And so it was just this, you know, and, and then just her presence in general, the, the very powerful striking presence that she created for, um, you know, such a young person in, in this worldwide stage that she had. And you're right. She was there with, you know, other very experienced, you know, you know, orators and other, you know, the history of the, of the person that recites that poem at the inauguration as people, we recognize names that we know. And I believe she will be this person. Um, I, for one, jumped on the website and pre-ordered her two books. So I am in part responsible for her, um, you know, going into number one on the, on the charts without the books even being out yet. But what I was so impressed with was just her presence of and the, the power of the words that she was sharing with us. And and I caught a few of the interviews uh, following it. And that after all of that, she's just she's a young woman that's, you know, coming into her own and was just as impressed about what she was experiencing as we all were and experiencing with her. So it kind of brought it back to, um, you know, really just we are, we all have that in common that we are, you know, we are all, all in this together. So I just, I, I had to write about it in my editor's note. I was just so impressed with her and, and feel like I have some, uh, reading to do on my own to go back and look at some of these folks and what, you know, what a, what a poet laureate is and what they represent for our country and try to learn a little more. Cause that was just more than, than I had expected to get out of that day. A lot of other lessons out of that day, but this one is going to hang with me for a bit. Absolutely. And, and what it was really stirring in me, reminding me of the fact that we only tend to see certain types of performances once they have climbed that proverbial hill and, and, and achieved a certain level of prominence. And yet every single day in every corner of the world, there are young people with, with passionate words and tunes and visions and ideas in their heads. And we're, we're to a certain extent tone deaf to, to all of it until it sort of gets that level of prominence. And I just wish that, that, that we had more, you know, it's a reminder of the power of education and the arts and literature and philosophy classes and the kinds of things that, that actually, although they are unfortunately also tied to a history of, of white, privilege and supremacy at elite institutions and so on. The, the reality is, is that these are transformational forms of human expression and we need to root them out, find them, support them, empower them. So, you know, I celebrate, uh, I celebrate her victory in achieving that level and, and getting the number of pre-orders for her book. And I want more of that for more people. And I think we have to make sure that our attention is also aimed you know, so much earlier because I just wonder how many people with this ability did not get that moment. And, and I want more of that. I want more. Not well, and, less. and maybe, maybe they will, you know, that the, you know, the, maybe that breakthrough is also in that space, right? That there is a young person who had the opportunity to watch it and is now sitting down with pen to paper or fingers to keyboard and said, I can be her. I have those words in me too, or I have this song in me, or I want to dance or whatever is the the way that they express their, um, their passions. And so I'm with you on that. I think this was, 
you know, an, an opportunity and, and certainly introduced this concept to, you know, I can't be the only one that didn't get it before. And so I'm, I'm hopeful that it will, we'll see some other things and it, and it follows, you know, in terms of, you know, what's, what's important to us in, in our communities. And you mentioned, you know, we have the, the, you know, the focus on education and, and, you know, we're, we're continuing to see the, as, as the, COVID-19 continues to um, dominate our headlines, but yet the stories are changing slightly and that the vaccination is now coming through and we are starting to um, see more and more people at least having the opportunity to get vaccinated. There's still some challenges, of course, but, you know, tops among um, issues of, of amongst Arizona voters continues to be education, continues to be healthcare, and continues to be, you know, jobs and economy. So no matter where we are and, and what happened, what's happening to us, we are still focusing on, you know, investing in our, in our education and, and, you know, where, where we should and how we should in terms of resources, salaries, all sorts of, you know, that infrastructure part that, that, is so important. You know, we, we, the education is more than just what happens in the classroom, of course, but this, this becomes a top line, um, area of, of concern for the, you know, for the state and, and organizations around the, the, com the community that focus on these types of issues are all looking at what, you know, what we need to do. And, um, and I think looking at someone like Amanda Gorman talks about the, you know, the, the beauty of what public schools can do and what, when committed to something and finding your passion and having that passion be celebrated, I think is an important thing. So, uh, we'll, I'm going to keep an eye out on, on her and, and learn a little bit more. So, uh, we'll see where that, where that takes us, but the hill we climb was the name of that poem. And, uh, I would say that she wowed the world that day for her just less than six minutes on the stage. So pretty awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you're right about education being a priority. You've got another story in here based on a survey taken by Higher Ground, uh, the polling organization. This is the sixth consecutive year that education was the number one issue among Arizona voters. Tell us a little bit about yeah. this data. So Expect More Arizona is a um, organization here in the state that really focuses on um, education and, and issues that are impacting our communities. And so uh, they went out and, you know, right, right after um, the election cycle and said, okay, what are some of the issues that are facing our community and, and what, what do we need to be focusing on? And as you said, education topped out the list with about 28% of the respondents saying that was um, amongst their top issues facing the state. Um, and that was even amongst uh, folks that didn't have kids. So, or kids living at home. So I think we know and understand the value of education is not just about, um, you know, those that are in school, but what happens with when we have an educated workforce and what that means to be an educated workforce and how we need to invest in our teachers and the resources that they have and access to, you know, extracurricular programs and things like that in order to get that um, educated workforce that we know then addresses some of our other um, societal challenges when we have a healthy, educated workforce. So, the other two issues, of course, healthcare and the economy. Um, I don't think there were any surprises here in that study, but um, something to, for us to you know keep a keep a top of mind as we're 
looking at, um, you know, the new legislative session here in Arizona, in Arizona and what's happening at the federal level um, when it comes to policy changes and such. So something to keep an eye out on. And uh, I, one of our other stories, which I'm, I'm really happy we um, are sharing is um, announcing the completion of the January 8 memorial in Tucson. Um, most of our listeners probably know uh, and remember the shooting that occurred on January 8th, 2011, when uh, then Congresswoman Gabby Giffords um, was hosting an event in Tucson called Congress on Your Corners was her kind of um, interaction with her constituents. And sadly, six individuals uh, died that day. 13 others were wounded, including her. And um, this memorial on the the 10th anniversary was really a tribute to those individuals um, and to remind us of, um, you know, the issues that she is, is, was fighting for, was fighting for at the time, continues to be um, so important in her now efforts on responsible gun ownership and such. So it's there in El Presidio Park. It's called the January 8th Memorial. And it's a real place, as the developer said, for contemplation and reflection. Um, it was a partnership between Pima County, Shea Salette Landscaping and Architect, and the Chase Building Team that were uh, kind of conceptualizing this idea to honor uh, those that were it impacted that day and really all of us that um, experienced that along with her. Um, it was a, I, I remember quite vivid, it was a Saturday and it was my first real understanding of um, double check your sources when you were sharing content on social and at no fault of anyone else's, the news was coming so fast and furious that uh, reports of the number of dead and injured and what was happening and who was in surgery and such was really changing minute by minute. But we were constantly sharing on social media and it really reminded me of the of the responsibility we have in sharing content that um, we what we're, we're sharing may not always be true and it's our responsibility to uh, to make sure that we've checked out our sources. So that was that was my, in addition to just the issue at hand, it was uh, kind of a learning lesson for me on, uh, on how to use social media effectively. So that's in Tucson. If you um, have an opportunity to pass by El Presidio Park, I do invite you to take a look and just spend a few moments remembering that day in our in our Arizona history. Certainly an issue that has impacted so many communities and so many places in our country. And one of the things that, you know, regardless of how one feels about gun ownership, we do need to have some grown-up conversations about reducing the effect of gun violence on people's lives. Certainly something that former Congresswoman Giffords uh, and her spouse now Senator Mark Kelly have devoted a lot of work to with with Giffords, the organization, and something that I think we all need to really engage in some thoughtful conversation about because we can't have the solution to this persistent problem be out of reach for much longer. It's we're good at solving problems. We need to get good at solving this one. Right. And respond, be responsible. Think, th think through what that means. I agree. So we'll, we're, we're, we're thrilled to be able to share that news that that memorial is available and, and welcoming to the community and hope that people have an opportunity to, to stop by. 
So um, as we said, healthcare continues to be a top of mind from our, um, from the survey. So a couple issues or topics here on health related um, organizations. So Delta Dental of Arizona has partnered with uh, Neighborhood Outreach Access to Health or NOAA and the Honor Health Foundation, and they are funding emergency dental treatment for any um, individual that might go into a Honor Health Emergency uh, Department with dental issues that may be uninsured. So they provided a grant for a program now called Dental Connect, which means if an uninsured patient comes into an Honor Health Emergency Room with a dental emergency, he will have an opportunity to be transferred or referred over to a dental staff with NOAA uh, to receive the care that they need. So um, to, you know, dental issues impact so much. And um, and surprisingly, at least surprisingly to me, how m- many people do show up at the emergency with dental-related emergencies. So this is an opportunity to kind of proactively address that um, and get the resources these individuals need and help them get um, back to a healthier environment. NOAA does a lot of outreach programs. This is just one of them, but uh, Delta Dental was um, in support of that and provided funding along with the Honor Health uh, foundation. So we're happy to share a little bit about that. And um, also with talking about community-wide health, um, you know, Native American tribes rely heavily on uh, the Indian health system and um, really have taken this concept of community health representatives or public health administrators and how to uh, value them and place importance on the work that they do in the community. So uh, Northern Arizona University um, did a um, survey that is showing that even though they know of the importance, there's some barriers there for those individuals to integrate into the um, Native American communities that they're supporting cultural differences and access and such. So they're working to be able to um, create um, or eliminate those barriers, call attention to those so that they, the um, Native American communities have a more comfort level with these individuals and, and like all of us access care where they need it and, um, you know, don't let things get to uh, a situation where emergency services are required. Yeah. You know, there's a really interesting phenomenon that happened over the course of the 20th century which I'm going to just loosely refer to here as the the medicalization of healthcare. What I mean by that is that the that so many services became located within hospital systems and began began being provided in an institutional framework, and then the, the funding and the insurance, the payment for those services, obviously has evolved into what we have now. But for so many years and in so many places, there's so many other facets of health that are are not medical or not surgical or something that requires intensive care inside of a a medical facility, but everything from education uh, to awareness to advocacy, you know, involve what we now are calling community health representatives. uh, And they've had many other names throughout the course of human history, uh, midwives and other kinds of experts, and as well as those who do community-based education around hygiene practices and all kinds of stuff. So to have to reintegrate some of those practitioners into a system where there's conversations between the different kinds of, of experts and the different folks serving a community seems really important when what we're after is improving outcomes for everyone. We want, we want better health and, and better life and 
livelihood and all the rest. Uh, so really dealing with some of those gaps in in communication and information sharing seems vital. Right. And right now, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of, um, you know, the, the, com- the communication component, you know, we've, we've, because we're still in, in a, um, you know, socially distant world and, and so much of our conversations are happening, you know, screen to screen and, and in influx of um, telehealth and, and really what's changing is, is people are, are accessing their health representatives in a way because the the a lot of the issues have been eliminated in terms of transportation or daycare if a mom needs to go and and someone can't take care of the kids and they can dial in and get a one-on-one interaction with with a healthcare provider in a less as you say, sort of institutionalized way where we're not in the scary building and, and appointments and whatnot. So there's a lot, you know, in this this discussion around health, healthcare, community health, public health. And and I think the the long-term impact of these access points being broken down is uh, one of those positive outcomes, I think, of some of the things that we've been experiencing is that yeah. you know, we're, we're, paying a, a diff- we're paying different kind of attention to our physical and mental health in a way that we hadn't before. And these new developments have to go hand in hand with something else we've talked about, which is rural broadband access. Because, of course, to have access to telehealth and those kind of consultations, you need to have the internet and the uneven distribution of the internet is a urgent uh, issue that many other organizations are working on. We've certainly talked about it on this show. But right. uh, yeah, all these things moving together towards reducing barriers to access and increasing communication. Uh, this can only be a good thing. Right. And um, some folks that I think are going to continue to do that. We, we have talked about some of the things that are happening at um, the University of Arizona and their Center for Innovation. So they um, have just um, enrolled um, a record number of individuals for their um, their incubator program. Forty plus organizations in the tech and science based startups have um, enrolled and are getting resources and education and assistance in developing and taking their ideas and putting them through into. Um, an actual end product. And so these are things like curing cancer to an app that's going to correct posture as I sit up a little straighter in my my chair. And, um, you know, just really saluting the innovation of these entrepreneurs and the spirit behind what they're coming to. And U of A and their Center for Innovation was really focusing on, you know, giving these entrepreneurs the resources and that they need in order to see that dream become a reality. And, and you know, 40 plus different organizations are participating. We can only expect some incredible things to come out of that. So uh, U of A, keep going, or UA, U Arizona, Congratulations on that. Um, one other uh, salute to the uh, the Tucson area, the University of Arizona. There's two alumni um, that are building a global wine business. Uh, they are um, Arden Gilfillan and Margot Room have uh, really kind of enjoyed uh, sharing their knowledge of wine and food with their uh, family and friends. And they decided that they would go ahead and uh, create a business. So they are curating small batches of their uh, product and helping to teach and educate those of us that uh, enjoy a glass of wine about 
how it works and the different types of pairings and such. And it's always nice to uh, have that be coming out of somewhere, you know, here in Arizona, another innovative project. So Arden and Margot, congratulations on that. Can't go wrong with wine pairings and things nope. of that nature. Nope. And then the final story that we're talking about as we're kind of closing out the wine side, we also, of course, have a fantastic um, culinary scene throughout the state. Um, Devour Phoenix was a um, an event, a physical event that you we were experiencing here in our valley for many years. And as we're continuing to um, practice our social distancing, the planners of that have reimagined the event and are now calling it Devour at Home. And so you will um, it can make your um, reservations and you will prearrange um, your orders to be picked up and it will be food and wine and how to warm it up and information about the chefs that prepared it. And one of the best things about it is that all the restaurants that are participating, you purchase this from them, they get 100% of those proceeds. So um, some of your favorite restaurants are on the list, uh, Southern Rail, Beckett's Table, Nook Kitchen, uh, The Gladly, Hannah Japanese Eatery, one of my favorites, Cotton and Copper, whole list of them there. If you check out uh, Devour at Home, you can find out everything and place your order. Um, the event is the end of February. Orders can be started taking on February 1st. So wine, food, lots of good stuff going on, healthcare, another action-packed news-filled edition of the Arizona 100. That's right. All these stories and more uh, from previous episodes and issues can all be found at thearizona100.com. Abby Fink is the editor of Arizona 100. You can send story ideas to editor at the Arizona 100.com. And as always, Abby and I will be here sharing some of our own thoughts and perspectives and hot takes on <laughs> new developments. Good uh, thing we're facing. not limited to a hundred words in our, That's right. in our think, conversations yep. or we've been done, you know, half an hour ago. Some people might, might wish that we were, <laughs> but uh, Abby, thanks so much. It's always fun chatting with you. You bet. For all of us here at phx.fm, I'm Adrian McIntyre. Join us next time for another episode of the Arizona 100 podcast. 